We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. With the death of Queen Elizabeth in 1603, England embarked on a new century with a new energy, a new monarch, and new ambitions regarding the exploration and colonization of North America. Before we head off across the pond to the shores of America, let's take a further look at the man who replaced the Virgin Queen at the head of the English and Scottish nations, King James I, who gave his forename to an epoch, a translation of the Bible, and to the settlement at Jamestown, Virginia. Early in his reign, the gunpowder treason plot was a failed assassination attempt against King James I by a group of provincial English Catholics who sought to restore the Catholic monarchy to England and thus influence and shape the religious course of British North American colonization. And now, the English Heritage Podcast takes us through the machinations of this Jacobean-era conspiracy. What does the gunpowder plot tell us about religious persecution and Catholic resistance? Well, with us to answer those questions and many more is Dr. Elizabeth Norton, a historian specialising in Tudor history. So let's get to the basics of the gunpowder plot for any domestic or even international listeners who aren't quite familiar with this period of English history. Elizabeth, can you describe what the gunpowder plot was? The gunpowder plot, it's famously commemorated by the rhyme Remember, remember the 5th of November with gunpowder, treason and plot. And I mean, that sort of basically sums it up is that it was a plot by some Catholic Englishmen to blow up the king at the state opening of parliament, to blow up the Houses of Parliament and everyone in there. And it was going to take place on the 5th of November, 1605. How many plotters were involved in this? Because the person that history and popular consciousness tends to remember is, of course, Guy Fawkes. But uh, there's more than just one guy, isn't there? Absolutely. So when we commemorate Bonfire Night, we think about Guy Fawkes and you can buy his mask. But he's actually not even the top plotter. Um, There are 13 members of the plot. About four or five are really key members. And Guy Fawkes is probably about the third or fourth in that list. The leader of the plot is Robert Catesby, who is a Northamptonshire gentleman. He is a Catholic. He's born into a Catholic family although he seems to undergo a religious experience in his early 20s where he really becomes very fervently Catholic and wants to turn England back into a Catholic country. So he gathers together these plotters, including one guy, Fawkes, who's actually recruited for his military experience. He is also a Catholic. In fact, he actually is lower ranking than most of the other plotters. Most of them are gentlemen, but Guy Fawkes is the son of a lawyer from York, converts to Catholicism in his teenage years, and then really becomes very, very fervent. And he is serving with the Spanish Catholic troops in the Netherlands when he is recruited to the plot. One of those plotters is Francis Tresham. But I suppose the next question is, how many of these offenders were caught and put to death? 
So again, I mean, it's a much more complicated story than we perhaps know about when we think about Bonfire Night, because it's fairly well known that Guy Fawkes is apprehended. He's the first member of the plot to be captured. He's actually captured in the cellar underneath the House of Parliament, just as he's sort of preparing to light the fuse. So he is taken off and tortured. And of course, when the other plotters realize that Guy Fawkes has been taken and the game is up, they all set about fleeing London. And a group of them head up to Warwickshire and they end up at Holbeach House there, which belongs to a member of the Catholic gentry who's agreed to put them up. They are absolutely exhausted by this time. It takes them some days to get there. They're clearly under mental distress. And unfortunately, they managed to blow themselves up in Holbeach House, which sort of just adds to their misery. No one is actually killed, although one of the plotters, John Grant, is actually blinded in the explosion. So it's really, really ironic that the only explosion of the gunpowder plot actually blows up the conspirators. They then resolve, being led by Robert Catesby, to have a sort of heroic last stand. I suppose we can call it heroic. And um, when the king's men arrive, they come out and you know they know they're going to die. And actually, Robert Catesby and another leading plotter, Thomas Percy, are actually killed with the same bullet, reportedly. The remaining members of the plot, including poor blind John Grant, are taken to the Tower of London. And most of them, along with Guy Fawkes, are then later executed. So, Elizabeth, out of these 13 plotters, how many were put to death? Eight of the plotters are actually executed. They're all sentenced to be hanged, drawn and quartered, which is the standard penalty for treason. And it's really intended to be a deterrent because you do not want to be hanged, drawn and quartered. In fact, Guy Fawkes, again, you know, the most famous member of the plot, actually has the most memorable death because once a noose is round his neck to hang him for a little bit, just to sort of cause some pain before they start sort of chopping him up, he actually, with the noose around his neck, jumps from the scaffold and breaks his neck. So he actually saves himself the worst penalty. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. And there is this famous drawing of the plotters that many people might be familiar with, uh, particularly school children who've probably come across it in a textbook or on the internet or something. It features uh, a number of characters whose names you'll give us, obviously. But who features in this drawing? And also who's missing? It's a drawing of, it actually only depicts eight of the conspirators rather than the 13 that we know. And it's actually the leading conspirators. So we've got Robert Catesby. We've got Thomas Percy, and he's a really important character to the plot. He's actually the oldest member of the conspiracy, but he's there right at the beginning. Thomas Percy is a cousin of the Earl of Northumberland, so very, very high ranking. 
but sort of a poor relation. And he has been sent north throughout the last years of Elizabeth's reign to go and talk to James VI of Scots, who's going to be Elizabeth's heir. And he feels very, very disappointed in how James intends to manage religion in England when he becomes king. So he joins the conspirators and he's actually very, very close to Robert Catesby. Interestingly, Thomas Percy is actually, because of his connections, actually appointed one of King James's gentleman pensioners, which essentially means he's one of the king's bodyguards, which actually gives the gunpowder plotters the reason to hire a seller under the House of Parliament because Thomas Percy needs to be close to London and to the court. So he is also depicted on the drawing. We've also, of course, got Guy Fawkes. We've got Kit and Jack Wright, who are leading conspirators. I mean, actually, they're schoolfellows of Guy Fawkes. They're quite likely to be the people that bring Guy into the plot. And we've got the Winter brothers as well. So we've got all these leading conspirators. We've also got Bates, who is Robert Catesby's servant. He's actually the lowest ranking of the plotters. And again, is, is really brought in because of this relationship he has with Catesby, which we'll hear about with Francis Tresham as well. So these are sort of the leading conspirators. Francis Tresham, Sir Everard Digby, Ambrose Rookwood, some other of the later conspirators aren't even depicted because they're actually quite minor in the plot. They come in later. I'm curious about this Thomas Percy connection to the king. How close was he to the king? Because it's a big effort to get together 12 other people to conspire with to blow up Parliament and the king. If he had close access to the king, why didn't he just carry out a basic assassination? So this is one of the strangest parts about the plot, because actually many of the conspirators have access to the king. Guy Fawkes actually attends a wedding with James where he's wearing his sword. I mean, he easily could have run the king through. Robert Catesby goes hunting with the king not long before the plot is discovered. So they have so many opportunities to assassinate him. They're clearly looking to do something else. So yes, they want the king dead, but they also want to make a big show. They want to show the world, you know, what they've done. They want to blow up the political establishment because, of course, it's not just the king who will be in parliament. And they also want to bring down the government. They don't want to just remove the head of the government. They want to remove the entire political establishment. So the queen will be there the Prince of Wales, all of the King's ministers, all of the nobility, the members of, of the Houses of Commons. So everyone will be there. So it's going to destroy the English government in one blow. And that's what they want. I suppose in some respects, it was too ambitious, really. It was overambitious for, for what it was. And then it literally, for some of the plotters, blew up in their face at Hull Beach House. What did the plotters hope to achieve then with the gunpowder plot? The plotters are hoping to entirely remove the Protestant government. They want to place James's daughter, Princess Elizabeth, who is a child, on the throne, presumably to marry her off to a good Catholic prince. And they then want to create a Catholic government to rule through her. So she'll effectively be a puppet queen. So they are intending to change the state religion by wiping out the government. So they want England to be a Catholic country. They're not looking for toleration or tolerance. They're looking for state Catholicism. Does it logically follow if you destroy and dismember via gunpowder and explosions the king that suddenly a relative is going to do what you say? No. And this is actually the most harebrained part of the scheme. And it's not a very well thought out scheme. In fact, I mean, you know, it's chances of success are pretty minimal. Because of course, even if they do kill most of the government, they're not going to get all of the nobility because some people won't have come to parliament for whatever reason. And so actually the chances of these sort of slightly random Catholic gentlemen being able to create their own government, they haven't got any Spanish backing, for example, which they've been seeking. 
So the chance of them actually creating this government is really unlikely. Even if they acquire Princess Elizabeth, they are unlikely to be able to create this new Catholic state. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. <laughs>